Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome back to Longmont Church of the Nazarene Online. Uh, Before I get into the message today, I just want to remind you that we are now having services um, on Sunday morning. They're at 9 o'clock. They're in the church parking lot. Um, We encourage you, if you want to come and join us for that, to bring a lawn chair, uh, a water bottle, an umbrella, and anything else you think you might need to stay comfortable during that time together. Um, We've been doing that for a few weeks now. It's worked pretty well. And um, we would encourage you, if you're so inclined or feel safe in doing so, to come and join us for that time of worship together. Today I'm going to be completing a sermon I actually began two weeks ago um, entitled Powerful Prayer for Others. It's from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. If you have your Bibles and want to look up that passage. Um, But before I begin uh, the message today, I want to take just a moment for prayer. Father, we come to you with grateful hearts. We're so glad that you are mindful of us, that you love us, that you extend grace and mercy to us, that you're patient with us, you're kind, you meet every need of our lives. We thank you for the blood of Jesus and the power of the resurrection. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the scripture. And Father, uh, the scripture is not just this thing on printed pages, but it's it's alive. It's active. Uh, The word says it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts to the very core issues of our lives. It tells us who you are. It tells us how we should live to please you. And Father, um, it's got so much to teach us. And I pray that we would learn again today about effective prayer from the, Paul, the, from the prayer that Paul prayed in for the Colossians in the passages we'll read today. It's, I think, a great guide for how we can pray for people in a way that, Father, we can be assured you will answer those prayers because we believe, I believe, that you desire to answer what Paul prayed in this passage, and then I trust we will learn to pray for others. Father, um, we are still in a difficult time in our world and in our nation, and we recognize uh, how desperately we need you. We pray for revival. We pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to give guidance to those in leadership over us. We pray, Father, for this pandemic that we've been living with um, to go away. Lord, we want the number of cases and hospitalizations and deaths to go down and down and down. We pray, Father, that your spirit would quell the violence that is still taking place in some cities. You are a God of peace, and we know that those kinds of actions are not of you. And thank you that you have called us to be a godly influence in the world where we live. And may we be faithful to that call on our lives. Lord, help us to have minds, ears, and hearts open to what you have to say to us today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me show that passage of Scripture with you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Again, this is... a 
a prayer that uh, Paul prayed for the people at the church of Colossae. And he begins in chapter 9 with this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Two weeks ago, we touched on the first uh, verse of this passage. We talked about prayer that is effective is prayer that is prayer that's persistent over time. Paul says here in verse nine that we have not stopped praying for you. And then um, we talked about the fact that we do need to be persistent in prayer. Because the answers don't always come according to our timing or desire. And there are some reasons for that. Reasons for the delays that in response to our prayers that we sometimes experience. One of those reasons is that God has a predetermined timetable for some things. We see evidence of that in various places in the scripture. Sometimes there is warfare going on in the realm of the spiritual that we do not detect. And um, we see an example of that in the book of Daniel where God sent an angel messenger to Daniel. But that messenger was delayed because he was doing warfare with the prince of Persia, a, 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 a spiritual power, and was relieved actually by the angel Michael so he could come and deliver that message to Daniel. So sometimes there's spiritual warfare taking place that results in what we might call a delay to our to our prayers, answers to our prayers. And then sometimes it's because God is working in the lives and circumstances of people to accomplish his will so that our prayers are answered. God does not force us to do anything. And so he works in our lives and circumstances. He brings us along. He leads us along. And sometimes there are those delays because God is at work there and it doesn't happen as quickly as as we would like to see. And then Paul tells us not only to, but to be persistent, but he tells us what to pray. And basically his prayer was this. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's basically his prayer for the people at Colossa, that, that the people of the church, the Colossian people, would have a knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, Paul then goes on to say, and in verse 10, and we pray this in order that. So, here's this prayer. I pray that you have a knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here are the reasons Paul prays that. Here are the expected results of the prayer that Paul prayed. Number one, to live to honor and please God. He says, 
that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. What does Paul mean when he says, live a life worthy of the Lord? Well, the word worthy that's used here actually means of equal weight. So when Paul prayed, he prayed that their lives, the lives of the Colossians, would have some substance to them. They would, that they would have some weight to them. Um, we've, you've probably used the expression, I know that I have. Um, so-and-so likes to throw their weight around. Well, that doesn't mean that whomever you're referring to is a large or heavy person. It means that they like to use their power and influence over others. And there are a couple of things that are true of a person who is weighty. First, you can tell when they're there. Um, They are not invisible. The second thing that's true of them is that they, they make a difference in whatever situation that they enter into. When weighty people enter the room, things change. The spirit of the room changes. The look on people's faces change. Uh, the conversation changes. They make a dramatic impact wherever they go. And when they leave, their presence there is remembered because they continue to make an impact on people even after they are no longer physically present. They are people of influence because they are people with some substance or weight to them. Think about it. Jesus was a weighty person. Everywhere he went, people were changed. Nothing was ever the same after Jesus was there. And knowing that there are people who are negative weights and positive weights, Paul added some clarification to his prayer. He said, I pray that you may, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. He wanted them to live lives that were weighty, that had impact, that had influence for God. In other words, the impact that they left behind was not of how great a person they were, but of how great a God they served. That's the kind of impact Paul wanted them to have. When they left footprints, it wasn't supposed to be the imprints of their own feet, but an impression of the feet of Jesus. When people remembered and repeated the words they had spoken, the impressions that left that they left should that were left in their minds should be an impression of Jesus not of that individual person paul wanted the colossians to live a life worthy of the lord to have a positive impact to have weight to have influence for jesus christ so that every every impression that their weight left behind would be an impression that brought glory to god So imagine praying this way every day of your life. Here's an example. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give my spouse clear direction in their life. I pray that they will grow in their relationship with you every day, and then all that they do today, they will remember that they are doing it for your glory. And I pray that wherever they go, that they will make an undeniable impact for your kingdom in the lives of other people. What do you think would happen 
if you prayed that kind of prayer for your spouse every day. Here's another example. Good God, so speak to my children, so work in their lives, that their lives will have your substance to them. I pray that they will have an eternal impact on this world for you. I pray that when my children are present, they will put smiles on faces, that they will bring peace to conflict, that they will bring healing to pain. That's weight, folks. That's weight. That's impact. That's influence. It's godly influence. And that's what Paul was praying. Pray that they would live a life worthy of the Lord, be a weight so heavy that they that the impact that they made could not be ignored or removed. Well, the second thing that he prays is bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit, continually doing good, kind things for others. Pray that they might live productive lives. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So here in Colossians, Paul prayed that the people would bear fruit in every good work. You know, you and I will produce some kind of fruit in our lives. There's no question about that. What is the question is, what kind of fruit will we produce? Will it be good fruit or will it be bad fruit? You know, in the years that you've lived, as you look back, what kind of fruit has your life produced? You were not placed, and I was not placed, on this earth just to take up space. We were put here so that Jesus Christ could live his life through us and produce his good work on this earth. We, the church... Our Jesus body, accomplishing on earth all that he would do if he were actually physically present here. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do. Think about, think about what it takes for apple trees to produce good fruit. First of all, it takes deep roots. The summers can be dry. They've got to be able to reach down to where the water is. It also takes protection from internal enemies, namely disease. It takes protection from external enemies, primarily insect pests. What is natural is for fruit trees to produce fruit For the benefit of someone other than itself. I've never known a fruit tree yet that was able to enjoy eating its own fruit. Paul prayed that these Christians would be like productive fruit trees. Trees that had their roots way down deep in Jesus. So that when dry times came, they would not only survive, but thrive. Trees that were protected from internal dangers, anger and fear and improper desires, just to name a few. Trees that were protected from outside danger, the attacks from Satan and the world. And trees that produced 
good fruit in their season for the benefit of God and others. See, Paul prayed that these people wouldn't just be busy about serving God, but that in every good thing that they did for God, there would be a positive, nourishing, eternal result. How would you like it if someone was constantly praying for you that in everything good thing that you attempted for God, there would be a, a positive, visible result that came out of that? And one of the chores that I enjoy doing around the house is mowing the lawn. And I don't enjoy it because it makes me sweat and because it's hard work. I enjoy it because after you get done, you can look back and see that your work has actually made a difference. And I kind of like, you know, I'm one of those people that I just don't go around the lawn. I kind of cut it in an angle so you can, you know, it leaves these nice little patterns and and, and so when I'm done, I, I want to be able to stand back and look at the result of my work. I accomplished something, and, and I can tell that. So, results. Let's pray that the fruit we produce will result in changed lives and in the growth of the kingdom. Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. John Maxwell, in his book, Partners in Prayer, said this. The greatest fruit that a person's life can bear has lasting value. Usually that means actions with eternal consequences, such as salvation for unbelievers and spirit-empowered ministry to other members of the body of Christ. So when you pray for others, pray that they would be productive and that they would choose to bear fruit that is eternal. And then the next thing that Paul prayed for, he said, so he's prayed that um, uh, they would live a life worthy of the Lord and live in a way that would please him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Grow in the knowledge of God. The knowledge that he's speaking of here is the knowledge that comes from life and study, a knowledge that enhances an accurate comprehension of God. Paul knew that everything hinges on the health and vitality of our relationship with our God, with our Creator. What rain and sunshine are to the nurture of plants, the knowledge of God is to the growth and nurturing of our spiritual lives. A genuine knowledge of Christ reveals itself in transformed character. We call that Christ-likeness. Ephesians 4.1, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So Paul prays that they will grow in their personal knowledge of God. And I believe that the greatest desire of every person's life ultimately should be to know God. And the greatest desire or aspiration for each day should be that we know God a little better. 
I'm not talking about knowing facts about God or even knowing the events of the Bible from cover to cover. You can know all about a person without ever having met that person. Remember reading a biography as an assignment in school? Maybe you chose to do a report on Abraham Lincoln or Babe Ruth or Charles Lindbergh. And you read that book and you get all kinds of facts about that person's life, but you never really have the chance to actually get to meet and know that person. You never actually had a relationship with them. What Paul was talking about was having a relationship with God that gets a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger, and a little bit more intimate as we grow in our knowledge and comprehension of who he is. And that's supposed to be an ongoing daily process. The thought of having a a relationship with God is totally foreign to some people's way of thinking. Do you know that the opportunity to have a relationship with God is one of the great things that sets us apart from all other religions? People of other faiths may know about their God, but they don't have the option of getting to know their God personally. And even for some Christians, they think of God as you know, being out there somewhere. He's the creator of the universe, but he's too far above me for me to get to know him. You know, the point of Jesus coming to earth was to bridge the gap between us and God so that we could get to know him. Jesus came to show us the heart of the Father. In fact, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, there are kinds of levels of relationship. There are the people that you say hi and bye to, and it looks like it might rain today, as you pass them in the halls of your office or the streets of your neighborhood. There are others that you would share a meal with at a restaurant and actually carry on a decent conversation, mostly about pretty surface stuff, maybe current events in the world. Then there are those people that you can actually take the risk of sharing your feelings and fears with. Those are the truly intimate relationships. Those are the relationships where you can risk it all. You You can let it all hang out and hold nothing back and still know that they'll be there tomorrow. What level of relationship do you think God wants with us? High and by and how's the weather? Or something deeper than that? Well, let me give you some clues. He's risked everything by sending his one and only son. And he's given us the Bible to communicate what he's done in the past, what he's doing today, and what he's going to do in the future. He's told us how he feels about us, about the world, and about our responsibilities to him in the world. And that should tell you that God wants your relationship with him to be more intimate than any other relationship you have. Maybe with with your mom and dad, your siblings, your football, watching buddies, your children or your spouse. 
And the only way to get to know him is to get into his book and experience the truth. When you apply the knowledge you have and start living that knowledge, then the more God will reveal to you. And then Paul prays, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Pray that they will be filled with the power of God. Paul prayed that the, the people, the Colossians, would receive power. And the power he was speaking of is the power of the Holy Spirit. This empowering is the only kind that is according to his glorious might. Again, John Maxwell, he says, as Christians, each of us can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we are to do anything of value, we must have him as the source of our power. Think of yourself as being similar, similar to a vacuum cleaner in your home. Interesting comparison. Like us, a vacuum cleaner was created with, a cert, with certain inherent abilities and it has a specific purpose. But if it's not plugged in and receiving power, it's useless. It depends on another source to make it effective. If you pull the plug, it's worthless. We're like that. Without the power from our source, the Spirit of Christ, we're ineffective. We may be able to do some things on our own, but they have no eternal value. And when we really understand this, then we begin to see ourselves as we really are. We realize that we need and must depend on God. That's why it's important to ask God to give others his power as we pray for them. Without that power, they won't be able to make a difference for him. But with that power, they can show strength in the face of adversity, patience during trials, and and endurance to finish the race race that God has laid out before them. And then in the end, we can hope that God will tell the Christian brothers and sisters we prayed for, well done, good and faithful servant. And folks, strengthened Christians, spirit-empowered Christians, are not to live a stoic, stiff, upper-lip life but one filled with joy and gratitude, as verse 12 indicates, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. In other words, Paul was praying that they would have and maintain a positive, thankful, joyful attitude. Not always easy, is it? That's maybe why we need to pray for one another that we would have that, joyfully giving thanks to God. Why pray for people's attitudes? Well, our attitude impacts nearly every aspect of our lives. It influences our behavior, our ability to learn, our contentment and and relationships, including our relationship with God. It affects every person's life and Christian walk in a far greater way than you might think. Your attitude. 
As you pray for others to share in a joyful attitude, remember that joy is different from happiness. Joy is internal and based on Christ. Happiness is external and based on circumstances. Joy is, joy is eternal and linked to our salvation, where happiness is temporary and based on fleeting emotions. Pray that your Christian brothers and sisters find joy in their lives and that, as a result, they would be salt and light to those around them. You know, as you think about what we're dealing with in our world and especially in our country right now, so many people are living in fear of the pandemic, COVID-19, all the restrictions that we've lived with and are continuing to live with. Um, you know, they look at the violence that's occurring in, in some of our major cities, and um, they're finding it hard to be joyful. In fact, quite the opposite. And, and so think about the impact that you can make if you're joyful in spite of the circumstances of life that we are living with right now. And as you spend an increasing amount of time praying for others, you will find that your attitude toward people improves. It becomes more positive and compassionate. And your prayer focus will also mature. You'll find that where you once focused on receiving, your, your focus now has shifted to being a blessing. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Where you once were concerned with your own personal hurts and injuries, your focus now has changed to having a healing effect in other people's lives. Were you once worried about your own problems, your focus now is on God's grace and power to overcome and conquer those problems. You'll find that as your prayer changes others, it also changes you. Joyfully giving thanks to God the Father. Why? Why do we give thanks? Well, Paul gives some very clear reasons here, and they're incredible. They're, they're powerful, and they make all the difference in our lives. Number one, he says, because you give thanks because you share in the inheritance of the saints. <laughs> the Bible tells us that we are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Just think of all that Jesus Christ is heir to and we share in that. Wow, that's a reason, Paul said, to give thanks. He also said that we have been rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Wow, can you imagine? You know, we live in a dark world, and a lot of people are lost in that darkness. And Paul said, you can give thanks because you've been rescued from that and brought into the kingdom of the light of Jesus Christ. And then here's, here's kind of the icing on the cake. And he says, you can be thankful because you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You've been, you've been freed from the power of sin in your life. 
It does not have dominion over you anymore. You don't have to bear the guilt of that. Jesus took that upon himself when he suffered and died and shed his blood on the cross. He's saying, Colossians, you have much to be thankful for. And that that thankfulness should be evident in the attitude and in the way you live. Because you, you share in the inheritance of the saints. You've been rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of light of Jesus Christ. And you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise the Lord. We do have much to be thankful for, don't we? So Paul says, just as a quick thumbnail summary, pray that... Pray for others that they will know the will of God so that they will live a life worthy of the Lord. They will bear good fruit. They will grow in their knowledge of the Lord, being strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit and then giving thanks for the goodness of God in their lives that has rescued them from the dominion of darkness, brought them into the kingdom of light because of redemption and the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And now share in an eternal inheritance. Praise God. Pray with me. Father, I know that um, this prayer has made an impact in my life and, and especially for my own family. I tend to pray this quite often that especially our, our, our daughters and their families and our, our grandchildren would have a knowledge of your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And, and then Paul says, here's why we pray that way, so that they will live a life worthy of the Lord, so that they will bear good fruit, eternal fruit, so that they will grow in their knowledge of and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, being strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then out of them will exude that thankfulness, that that spirit of gratitude because of all that Jesus has done for us. And Lord God, we, you know, there's a lot of prayers we pray and we just kind of wonder, well, is that the right thing to pray? I wonder if God will answer that. Father, we can be sure that these are prayers that you desire to answer in people's lives, in our own lives. And so teach us how to pray this consistently, persistently, and effectively. And then see the results as, Lord God, you work in people's life to answer this prayer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us today. May God bless your week.